Welcome back, everyone, to the Fluid Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Ruggiero, CEO and co-founder of Sports Innovation Lab. We're here to help educate the market on the Fluid Fan. So that's what you're listening to. We talk about interesting aspects of this future consumer. I have been doing that over five years, and we try to bring on guests that are actually doing it. Uh, practitioners, media companies, brands, anyone that's uh, in the sports business space. So excited to have a guest today. The first female deputy commissioner, actually, of any men's professional sports league here in North America, the one and only Jessica Berman. Uh, I've known her for many, many years. She's at the National Lacrosse League now, but she's been at the NHL prior to that role. So knew her in her hockey days, but has absolutely been crushing it over at the NLL. If you don't know her, you should. She's been named to the SBJ's 40 under 40, been featured in Sports Illustrated's the unrelenting issue about top women in sport and uh, is actually a lawyer. So you can talk about lawyer stuff with her uh, <laughs> if you happen to, if you want to. You'll hear today's podcast. Uh, Jess is, I think, really trying to bring the voice of the athlete out. There's there's a very diverse group of athletes that star in the NLL and how she's leaning into tech and partnerships as the league continues to grow. This was a surprising fact. If you don't know the NLL, you'll learn more about it today but it's got the third highest attendance for indoor sports here in North America, third highest attendance. So I guess you're, you know, you're right enough football and some of the bigger sports, but that, that was a little shocking to me, but I'm excited. So if you haven't seen the NLL, you'll learn a lot about it on today's show. You'll learn about Jessica Berman kicking it off here on the fluid fan podcast. Welcome back to the fluid fan podcast. Very excited today to have, a good friend, a uh, one of our women's executive leaders on the pod, Jess Berman, Deputy Commissioner at the NLL. Jess, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really excited for this conversation. We've actually known each other in a prior world where you know you know you were more on the hockey side of things. So 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 we met uh, a lot back in the day when you were at the NHL. But today's conversation, I would love for our listeners to learn more about what you're doing at the NLL, how you got to where you are, tons of questions. I'm sure you get every single day, you know, someone that's not just in sports business journals, 40 under 40, but actually, uh, I think you, I believe you tell me if I'm correct, you're, you're the first female commissioner of a men's professional sports league. Is that just in the States or is that globally? I'm sure you know the stat more than I, more than I do. Well, it was told to me, to be clear, after I took the job. So <laughs> I, I like to give that caveat. It definitely wasn't the driver of me taking this role. But I believe what I was told is I'm the first deputy commissioner of a men's professional sports league. Love it. Well, I love first. I love breaking the ice, as you know. I'm, I'm all about, you know, the first of anything, really. Who's going to... And you did it not because of that, as you said, you're just awesome. So you're hired for, for the role because of that. But I love just highlighting it because it is, you know, you're in a very visible role that lots of young women and young men now can look up to and bring some light into opportunity, obviously in the space. So yeah, I was the first, you know, this and that, you know, the first woman to play pro men's in North America. I always use that once in a while. So I'm like, all right, Jessica Berman's also crushing it at the NLL. Um, the so, are important because they open doors for others. So totally, totally. So tell me how you got here. When we always open these conversations up with 
how did you get to where you are? You, you obviously spent a lot of time, 13 years, I believe, at the NHL before your current role as deputy commissioner. The role in which you've played, your legal background, et cetera, I'd love for you to, to give us a bit of a preview and then we can dive into the NLL. Like, how did you get to be where you are today? I think it's a combination of hard work and my network of personal and professional friends and colleagues. On the hard work side, for better or worse, I've been interning and working towards this career path since I was a teenager. I knew I wanted to work in sports from the time I was 16. And we could talk a little bit about that in a little bit. But, you know, I was always drawn to this industry because I felt that it was so powerful on so many levels and knew that. Uh, without any family connections or anyone I knew and who worked in the industry, that it was going to take a lot of networking and interning and proving myself, which I think I probably most would say overcompensated in that space and gave up a lot of my free time in summers and after school and really spent every free moment trying to get work experience and really build my resume to be able to get my next role. That really worked in concert with building my network, my personal and professional network. From the time I was a kid, my my mom always told me I was a people collector. And I, I think I still am that. As an example, each weekend this season, I'm going to a different NLL market to attend a game. And I'll just post on Facebook, which is a private Facebook page, meaning just my quote, friends, my, my nearest and dearest friends, but I'll, I'll post on there. Hey, I'm coming to market. Does anyone want to join me? And this past weekend, a quote friend who I hadn't seen since 1999 responded is like, Oh, I live in the Buffalo market. You're, you're going to be in Buffalo this weekend. I'd love to come with my family. And he and his family came in our suite and we had a great time. And, you know, it was just one of those moments where I was like, I, I really do sort of like hold on to people. And I think even if go some period of time without connecting the substance and the authenticity of the relationship, whenever that relationship was cultivated is real. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to really lean on that for probably mutual benefit, I would say. So yeah, I would say those two things together really got me to where I am today. Mm -hmm. And then work, walk me through your work experience. Obviously you're, you talk about your work ethic, but you know, you built your chops the last I think 13 years again, I, as I mentioned at the NHL, where you were a VP of community development, culture and growth and executive director of the NHL foundation. And, you know, you worked your three up through, through the ranks as senior counsel and, and deputy general counsel, et cetera. So you basically built your career at the NHL and were able to, uh, to take that into the, the NLL. What kinds of projects did you work on there? And, and then if you can lay out what you do now at the NLL, it'd be great. At the NHL, I'd say there are a couple of things that I think helped me to gain the work experience I did um, and grow and evolve throughout my 13 years there. Mostly it started with my background in collective bargaining. I came from Proskauer Rose, which is the law firm that represents most of the professional sports leagues, including the NHL. And back in 2004, when I was an associate at Proskauer, I worked closely with the NHL as a client and represented them in bargaining. Granted, I was a third year associate out of law school. So I was all of like 
27, but, you know, dedicated 365 days of the year, 24 seven to working closely with Gary and Bill and David Zimmerman and the legal team there as outside counsel that really helped to build my credibility and relationships there so that I was really a known quantity when it was time to build capacity and add a headcount to their legal department. And when I came in house, uh, my early years there were really just building relationships internally and with the teams and really becoming along with some of the other lawyers in-house, subject matter expert on the CBA and building close relationship with the union, which I would say for me with my labor background really was and, and continues to be even in my current role. I think something that's a differentiator for me because I think you know publicly people think of labor relations and union management relationships as something that's super contentious, which it can be. But at the end of the day, management union relationship is really, I describe as a marriage where you can't get a divorce. We need each other to be successful. And therefore the underlying respect and professionalism that exists in the relationship in order to negotiate and reach a compromise, prioritize what you need in the relationship and in your next deal is really the key to labor relations. And so leading into the 2012 2013 collective bargaining negotiation where the league had a half season work stoppage. And for those who are big hockey fans might recall where the league lowered the percentage of the player share from 57% to 50%. That was really the time in my career at the NHL where I got some meaningful front facing opportunities to really contribute to the resolution of the work stoppage. Mm -hmm. um, if you ask my kids at the time who were, I think they were th three or four and maybe like one or two, my now 14 year old, but at the time he was four, he said, I saved hockey. So that's how he <laughs> described my role in the 12, 13 negotiations. Awesome. <laughs> but really, you know, we were holed up in a hotel room 24 seven, you know, the inner team who was responsible for that. And that was really a differentiator for me. I would say the second project for me was really helping to catalyze the shift in mindset at the NHL of thinking about social impact and purpose-driven storytelling and partnerships to be a core element of how they think about business and growth, mm -hmm. which is a process. That's not something that happens overnight, but I approached Gary and Bill about that concept back in 2015. And that was really the impetus of me moving from the legal to the business side, really this vision that both because of the circumstances of the world and what the next gener generation of fans and consumers are demanding, and also the opportunities I saw from a business perspective internally at the league office, that there was an opportunity to reshift and recast how the league invested in community initiatives yep. for both doing good and doing well, which of course now you see really flourishing, but, and there are a lot of people. Fans follow values. I mean, you know, we, we say that all the time. These, a lot of fans, to your point, care about issues, but they want to make sure their teams and their leagues care about the same issues. So it's real. it's table stakes for them, right? It's, it's not, it's, it's something that's in some ways a little bit hard to measure because it's just, it's a non-starter for, yeah. 
for that generation. Like you, you just won't see them engage. They just disengage the brand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They have to believe that you care and that you're authentic in your commitment. And so that was really like the second piece of my work at the NHL that I think really helped to build my confidence and build my platform internally. And then, yeah, I decided in 2019 that it was time for me to explore new options uh, at the NLL and became the deputy commissioner in September of 2019. And so there you oversee uh, HR, team services, marketing, communication, across ops, community engagement, and the governance of the league. So a lot of your background obviously is being applied now, which is good to see. For those that don't know the NLL, it's, I believe, it's been around since 1986. It's ranked third. I, I found this a little shocking, but I'm like, you're right. Third average attendance for pro indoor sports worldwide behind the NHL and NBA. So that makes sense. True. You have or 15- as, my, as my son would say, facts. <laughs> facts, yeah. Yeah, facts. you have 15. 50- 15 teams across North America, one making the move to El- the Vegas, which we'll, I want to touch on in a second. And you've got some pretty impressive owners. Um, tell me about the league. If you've never seen NLL and you're listening to this, like the deputy commissioner, what is, what is the NLL? Why should we care? I've seen some games for the, for, for the record. Actually, when I, when I work for the Islanders, I got, I've got to a few, but tell me about the NLL. A few sort of high level points. First of all, it's, Come for the party, stay for the game. It's the most fun, exciting, action-packed experience, both in arena and in broadcast, I think, that I've ever experienced in sports. Part of the reason for that is that we have a unique juxtaposition of the best lacrosse players in the world with a culture of innovation where we don't take ourselves too seriously. So it's really, honestly, like everybody in our sport gets that we are an entertainment product. Mm -hmm. We get it. Everybody gets it. There isn't a inner resistance to innovation because we understand that our business is predicated on being entertaining. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have music during our run of show. And that's why our guys are doing like acrobatics, literally. It's why we're on sports. How do, you communicate that? How do you communicate that? Cause I think it's a really interesting point. A lot of the leagues, the older leagues I speak to you, you're ba- you're always trying to balance tradition and innovation, tradition, innovation, what we've always done with where we want to head. And you've been around since the eighties. So maybe there's like a timing thing, but like, how do you, how do the players know? How do you give them permission to do acrobatics? How do you give the owners permission to do things differently without being overbearing as a kind of a league office? Yeah, I would say, you know, culture is interesting, right? The things that promote culture are very hard to put your finger on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like implicit permission. In our league, that unspoken code is like just non, it just doesn't exist. Like any idea is like, let's mm-hmm. explore it. Like, what is the reason to not do it? Instead of thinking about it as like, why should we do it? It's like the opposite framework. It's like, you know, of course we have corporate governance and we have policies and procedures and all of those things because many of our owners are actually owners in the NHL and NBA and NFL. So we have to have a level of due diligence and process that keeps us 
probably importantly so, grounded, um, and me as a lawyer, sane. But there's almost none of, well, we've never done it that way, so we're just not going to do that. It's just not the way people think. So the way that people, I think, promote a culture is just those like subtle or implicit moments where, as an example, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. A couple of weekends ago, there was a goalie fight. I don't know if you saw it. It went viral. It was a big deal. Like literally the goalies went from their goals to the center and like fought. I saw highlights. I was loving it. My brother was a goalie, by the way, in hockey. I think you know this. And he's got a couple of those clips and it's just like, I love, anyway, I saw it and I I thought, I I was laughing. So So the game was Saturday night. Mm -hmm. Sunday, I'm in my kid's locker room in youth hockey, my 11 year old. And I'm like helping him tie his skates. And I get a phone call from our head of marketing. It's like, we're getting insane number of requests to like release this in like the ether. It's going to go viral. Are we cool with basically like fueling this? Like, are we okay releasing it? Like people want it. There's demand. Like they like it. And I was like, let it go. (laughs) Like go, let it go. Like, you know, and that's a moment to me that was like a, it's like fun to be part of something that's less afraid, more risk tolerant. And we have this like unique chemistry where we're also partnering with like ESPN and TSN. So we're, we're in the mainstream now, but we can sort of shape what we want our league to be moving forward with some of the, I don't know, like spiciness that make it interesting. Mm -hmm. And engage that next level of fans. I mean, anecdotally, I see what my kids follow on TikTok and they want to be an active consumer. You know this from the fluid fan research. They want to be engaged. They want to laugh. They want to find things interesting. They want to be wowed. There needs to be a hook. And for us, some of that hook is, yeah, the acrobatics, the willingness to engage new technology platforms. But also I, I just have to give a shout out to like the roots of our game being in the indigenous culture, which is such a huge part of how we are shaped as a league and how we will continue to move forward. Like that is going to be and continues to be the foundation of what we will invest in from a community perspective. That's great to hear. I'm just curious again, it's a it's a really interesting league. If you've never been, if you've never been a game, I encourage anyone listening to check it out. But that you know, we've done a lot of research as pastors, you know, on the fan project on women's sports. And one of the findings there was that because these leagues are, haven't been around as long, in some ways you can, and the ownership groups and the leadership groups want to do things differently. You guys remind me a lot of that, which is, and we've spoken at your, your board meetings. It's like, bring it on technology partners. What are you looking to do? Hey, we're, we're open for business. We're not beholden to, you know, just the way that things have always been done. And and the more I hear you speak, Jessica, and the more that I've kind of paid attention to NLL, it reminds me a lot of that of, of, Hey, we've, we've got this interesting culture and we also don't have the same restrictions that you might come against with some of the, the, the the bigger sort of longer, longer term um, properties. Absolutely. And I, the other piece that I find to be so exciting about that point, Angela, is that we also have the owners that have credibility in those bigger leagues. So what I think our value proposition is like, bring it, test and learn in our league. And then, you know what, like Stan Kroenke, Joe Tsai, the Pagulas, 
Calvary Sports and Entertainment, Appellini, like you can take what you, Comcast, you can take what you've learned in the NLL and then said sponsor or technology partner, bring this as a case study to the NBA, to the NHL. And, it, and we're not random, right? Like, yes, yeah. we're a challenger property, but you have we have an innate credibility, I think, relative to the size of our league yeah. from a business perspective that allows that story, that pilot, that case study to have legs moving forward. And we think that that's really meaningful. Tell me more about that. Um, you mentioned some of the owners, um, Joseph Sai, who I think everyone knows uh, in the, the NBA space, but he owns the San Diego Seals. He played college lacrosse at Yale. So he's a big lacrosse guy and, and I believe is on the ownership team now, the new expansion team you have in Vegas with none other than, you know, one of the best hockey players of all time, Wayne Gretzky, great one. Uh, <laughs> another Canadian, you got, you're recruiting. Cause again, uh, lacrosse is technically, I believe the sport of Canada, Steve Nash, NBA legend is not part of that ownership group. I'm thinking out loud now. Um, yep. As is Dustin Johnson, Dustin Johnson. Yep. So you got, uh, there you go. You got your, your little Canadian makeup there, but Lacrosse is the official sport of Canada, right? Not hockey. I think technically, and Wayne actually corrected me. Um, I think it's technically the summer sport of Canada. Oh, so okay. there, it's like hockey is the winter sport of Canada and lacrosse is the summer sport of Canada. But uh, I like to cite the fact that Wayne told us that um, as have many NHL players like Brennan Shanahan, Joe Neuendijk, Adam Oates, that had lacrosse been like a, more fruitful option for their professional athletic careers that they might've actually pursued lacrosse. Like they loved playing. You, you, told, you told me about that. I think Wayne Gretzky, right? The, the but Brendan Shanahan, they all say that. They what? all say that. They all say that. And they also say that the skills they learned in box lacrosse, which is our version of lacrosse, are what made them great hockey players. Hmm. And so I'm like, share your story, man. This is awesome. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> I tried lacrosse one year. How did it go? Uh, it was fun. I, I struggled honestly with the women's lacrosse side because there were, you couldn't stand as a defenseman in ice hockey in lacrosse. No one could stand between me if I played offense in the goalie. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. It's like counterintuitive to no, you stand between the offensive player and the goalie. They're like, no, 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 no. You got to stand beside. So I was, I, I, I couldn't figure out the rules. I'm, I'm just going to be honest. It was a little <laughs> different than what I've been taught. So since your time as deputy commissioner NLL, you've, you've obviously done a lot, wrapped your head around, you've been dealing with COVID. We can talk about that maybe a little bit later, but talk about your deal. We talked, we just talked a little bit about this culture of innovation and thinking outside of the box and being flexible, but you are doing some pretty cool traditional deals, mainly ESPN that you, that you signed recently and really, I think leaning into, you know, leveraging that platform to obviously carry games uh, on the traditional, but also, you know, OTT and other platforms. So tell me about your approach to ESPN and others in terms of getting, uh, for those that can't physically be at a game, especially during COVID, how are you getting uh, the visibility of the NLL out into the broader sports market? Yeah, well, this was really key to our growth strategy because we know that we need to be where sports fans are, mm -hmm. period, end of story. Um, even though our fans are very digitally savvy and 
I, I believe the research that you put forward that um, they can, they're actually smarter at finding things than, than we would think. But in order to find something, you have to know about it mm-hmm. and want it. Um, and the NLL, and this actually, like you talk about the stat that shocked you about being third in indoor attendance. I'll tell you the stat that shocked me when I joined the NLL. 70% of NLL fans say that the NLL, their NLL team is their most favorite sports team. Hmm. I'm like, who are these people? This is awesome. Um, Yeah, diehards. It really reminds me of the NHL in the 90s, like that really rabid, avid fan base. Mm -hmm. So the people who love it, like love it, obsessed. Uh, When we had to cancel our season back in 1920, I think it was like 87% of our season ticket holders kept their money with their team. They were like, we're there when you come back. Don't worry about our money. Like, keep it. Um, so our fans love us. Uh, the question is, how do we expand the funnel? We, we need more of them. And they don't all have to be avid, rabid fans. Like, we need more of that casual fan. Um, and so the, the ingredients for that are things like the deal we did with Fanatics. So now we are selling our merchandise and our e-commerce where sports fans shop for shirts and hats and jerseys, et cetera, um, which launched this past year, which was really key. And to be partnered with a company like Fanatics, given everything that they're doing from a innovation and disruption perspective is great. Mm -hmm. And ESPN slash TSN as well. So all of our games can be seen on either ESPN in the US or TSN in Canada. And you know, how do we think about those partnerships? We really think about them as marketing partners. And we actually have with both media companies and it's interesting, like, I'm not sure we made enough of a big deal about this publicly because I think it's an example of how we think innovatively. We have two separate deals with both companies. And I think we might be the first sports league to do this. We have our media partnership where, of course, they have the rights to broadcast and distribute all of our content, but we also have a separate marketing partnership with both of them. And for those who have watched the NLL this season, you may have seen, we have a patch on both in the U S and Canada, the ESPN plus patch on our jerseys. I think we might be the first sports league to do that. And in Canada, the TSN patch so that we're showing them that we're willing to invest in them like a brand, like a sponsor. That's yeah. a sponsorable asset. But to me, there's nothing more important than promoting our media partner as a commercial partner. They are a commercial partner. There's no yeah. reason to think about them differently than you would think about Guaranteed Rate or Honda or Pepsi or any of these brands. Um, and in turn, they are investing in us incrementally to be able to help us to grow. And that was something that was our idea that we brought to them. And they were both like, wow, this is pretty innovative. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure like our PR person wants me to like have this BR reveal, but it just was. So that's exciting. <laughs> I, I just think it's, it's an example to, to your earlier point of us being willing to think about things differently. Like, I don't really care that other leagues haven't thought about media properties as a commercial brand. They are commercial brands. Like Mm -hmm. it makes no sense to me. So we should just do it. We should do what we know is right to grow our business. Mm. Yeah. Partnership is the word, but I mean, the ecosystem operates so differently now than even 10 years ago. And those that approach their partners, like true partners, I think are going to be 
more successful in the long run. I'm curious then you're, you're taking these, these non-traditional approaches, really leaning hard into the, these digitally savvy fans of yours. One thing that we've written a lot about and help our clients with is just the importance of the players themselves and the personalities of the athletes and how, if you can uniquely connect these fans, these fluid fans to the athletes, obviously building their brands and allowing them to be, you know, the main connection point to the league, you're going to be better off. So I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, how you're supporting your athletes, how are you enabling them to be active on social media, mm-hmm. um, connect with your fans, storytelling issues like the NLL's coast to coast series. What are the, what are the sorts of things that you're seeing and, um, and doing to ensure that fans have access to the athletes directly? Super important. Something that I worked on closely with Heidi Browning when I was at the NHL. So awesome. took a lot of my key learnings from there. And I actually, I cite her often where she, she used to say humans over highlights. That's like my, <laughs> like humans over highlights, uh, attribution, Heidi Browning, CMO of NHL. So uh, in my first month at the NLL, we hosted a player business summit. Mm-hmm. where we got feedback directly from players. Uh, this was in September of 2019 to ask them like, what can we do to be better partners for you? Like what opportunities do you see to grow the game? Uh, what role do you want to play? How can we facilitate you feeling valued and engaged? And one of the takeaways from that meeting was like, we need technology solutions to help us on social to facilitate content sharing. And so we did an RFP and got proposals from a bunch of different technology partners and we ended up going with Greenfly. So Greenfly is a partner of ours and they really are integral along with Grabio, who we also work with. They're both absolutely phenomenal with Photo Shelter. Like we have a whole sort of like ecosystem of technology partners that really help us to aggregate and organize content and package it and send it out to the players so that they can super easily and seamlessly log on and post directly to their social platforms. So that's sort of like one piece of it. The second piece of it is, and this is where, you know, I I feel like they're in, in so many of the bigger leagues, each of these areas is like so siloed and separate, Mm -hmm. which I get from a business perspective, like as we grow, that'll probably be a problem we have one day as well. But right now I just, the thing that I love so much and that engages me and it energizes me right now is that I love being involved in all of these different things because they're all connected. And I feel like there's like missed opportunities when these things live separately. So for example, you know, this stuff typically doesn't ever get involved with the people who are thinking about collective bargaining and union relationships. But what I was just about to say in response to your question is I meet every Tuesday morning with the heads of our union and most of it's about labor issues and, you know, labor type stuff and discipline and player stuff. But we also talk about promoting the league because Mm -hmm. I also oversee marketing content broadcast. And so, you know, these things really are, you know, Gary has a saying actually uh, that everything's related to everything else. He used to always Mm -hmm. say that. I quote him a lot often as well. As you can see, I I learned a lot in my years at the NHL and I I value that. Credit back though. People usually rip ideas and don't give credit. So oh my God. Oh my God. Are you kidding? I they did so much for me. I learned so much from them. And so that piece of it, you know, working closely with our union, but then the third component related to like storytelling about players. This is like to me the 
one of the more untapped opportunities I feel like our league has. I call our players Clark Kent Superman because they are regular people by day, like literally the most normal role models you could ever imagine. And then they transform into superheroes on the weekends and are the best lacrosse players in the world, like hands down best lacrosse players in the world. And so you have first responders like policemen and firefighters and paramedics who like literally save lives. And then they play in our league. Then you have like investment bankers and lawyers. And then on the weekends they play in our league. And then you have like the most crazy things like underwater welders. And there's this one guy, Hamer Jackson who plays on the Vancouver Warriors, who's a logger, like actually like logs in the water. And he has like a half million followers on TikTok. He like plays lacrosse on his tugboat, you know, against the wall. <laughs> it's just like, to me, it's amazing. It's like the Olympics, you yeah. know, I feel like the storytelling that is done around the Olympics is the same kind of storytelling that we could and should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting too. Again, the parallels to women's sports is a lot of times you have a real job, you know, outside of playing sports for a living, but it's so interesting because these people are so wide ranging and, and to your point, like fascinating um, outside of just they're really good at their sport. And the more you can lean into those stories and let your fans connect to them as humans versus just stats, it's definitely a key finding that we talk about all the time. These, you know, you mentioned your, you see yourselves in our first question. You're like, we're entertainers and we all get it. At the end of the day, I mean, that's essentially, if you could look into a crystal ball in the future, where, where is lacrosse? Where's the NLL specifically, but lacrosse and the broader ecosystem. I know it's been finally congratulations lacrosse recognized by the IOC, not as a full-blown sport, but at least on the short list. I know Paul Rabel texted me right after that happened because I've been helping him on the side for a bit on that. But like in general, it's one of the oldest sports you mentioned before Native American. I mean, it's, it's been around for hundreds of years. Where do you see this sport headed in the future? Unlimited potential. Honestly, I think lacrosse has unlimited potential. As you alluded to, I I think there could be some really meaningful decisions in the not too distant future that could really change the face of lacrosse. Mm -hmm. Some of them are the Olympics in 2028. If that happens, that would be a complete game changer for lacrosse here in North America, I believe. You know, one of the things that I've noticed about lacrosse, and I'm totally an outsider coming in, is just that the sport is so fragmented. It has been so fragmented. And I think if we can all find a way to work together and be greater than the sum of our parts, that it would really help all of us. Like the rising tide lifts all boats. You know, be interesting to see what where the PLL ends up from a media perspective. You know, we're on ESPN now. Um, the NCAA lacrosse is on ESPN now. I just think the easier, we, we just have to be respectful of the fact that consumers today are so inundated with information to expect them to like, you know, keep track of like where everybody is and who is where and which league are you the outdoor, indoor, like, wait, you're on NBC, wait, you're on ESPN. Like, it's just, it's too much. It's too much to ask, I think. I think we have to like simplify it, make it super easy to digest, navigate, really be like super clear in our communications collectively. And so where do I see us in a few years? Definitely continuing to expand as you alluded to. We were actually 
when when Nick Sikavich, our commissioner, took over in 2016, we were at nine teams. And now, I guess, some number of years later, six years later, we are at 15 and actually in very active conversations on team 16. I would expect that announcement to be in this calendar year, probably sooner than that. So, you know, continuing to expand for sure. We have to grow our family of non-endemic commercial partners in order to transcend and break through the clutter. So more of that, we've announced a partnership with Guaranteed Rate earlier this season, Sports Interaction in Canada, sports betting company. We're actually going to be announcing, and Joe Favorito, our PR person, will kill me if I say it. So this part, I won't I won't slip. I'll just like put my I hand on that. We are going to be announcing, or I guess by the time this podcast release, we will have announced our next uh, non-endemic partner, likely this this week. Um, and yeah, just continuing to partner with brands where we have alignment to break through and build credibility in the NLL. Awesome. Well, before we wrap into the my section four with four, which is my innovation hot seat. I do want to give you a shout out just again. Uh, we opened with you are the highest ranking female executive. So I think that's pretty cool. And you serve on our women's executive network. So I've gotten to know you personally a little bit more through that. I know how important it is for you to just be visible. You know, if you can see it, you can be it. Any final words of advice for, for young women in particular that are tr- aspiring to, to do what you do just to work in professional sports, men's or women's, but just, you know, you've, I heard you say I had the, basically, I didn't have the family to get me the job. I had to just out hustle and, and I've, you know, and you're doing it and you're living it. You saved talkie, you know, per your son. So you, you got the <laughs> yeah, I think in the most humble of ways. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it's cute, but, but like, I, I just, I, I don't want to let you go before I get your I don't know, words of, of inspiration for, for the young women in particular, young women in, in professional sports that are looking to, to break in. My advice, I, I guess, like I have, I have so many thoughts, but I guess the thing that comes to mind the most is just to know that this industry is super small. You never know who's watching. Uh, you never know who might be someone who can help you out in the future always, always do the best job you possibly can go above and beyond. I mean, I still, I still do that. It's like when someone asks you to do something, take a minute and think, well, that person's super busy. Maybe they asked for X, Y, and Z, but it might be helpful if I also provide this other context or this other um, information or this, you know, I had this idea, you know, and, and I would say just be a resource be of service to people around you with endless possibilities and a good attitude goes a long way. We all work so hard in this industry. So I can't under underscore enough how important it is to just be the kind of person that people want to be around, you know, um, be a good person. <laughs> we just sign, we just, we just spend so much time together. We spend so much time together that you want to be the kind of person who's like adds value and asks good questions and 
be a team player. Like, you know, these are like basic things. I mean, these are things I tell my kids, like these are things that we were told in kindergarten, Mm -hmm. Um, but they get lost along the way. And, you know, just to remember that at the end of the day, we're all just like regular people and we want to work with good, smart people who add value, who think differently. Don't be a bobblehead ever. Like there, you don't need to have like the same kind of person in the room who's like saying the same thing as everyone else. Never be afraid to respectfully share your different opinion. Like that's why you're there. You're there to share a perspective that someone else doesn't have. Love it. All right, Jessica Berman, the deputy commissioner of the LLL. Thanks for being on the pod. Can't let you go before you tell us what innovation means to you. Well, I I guess I kind of just shared it in that other context, but innovation to me means to think about things about what they can be based on possibility and potential, not based on experience and what's already transpired. So to allow yourself the opportunity to imagine and be creative and to think about what could be and not be deterred by the fear factor of it never having been done before. Mm -hmm. Love it. Who's someone that you look up to that's super innovative? You you take it wherever you want. Innovative person. Can I say you, or is that what everybody says? (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to say you and someone else? I do think I, I will say you and someone else. I'll just say about you. I mean, I, I met with you when you had the idea to form sports innovation lab. And it was like early, early days. I don't even know if it was if that a name yet, or it was called that. I remember exactly the conference room we were in, where you shared some of your thought about being a resource to the sports industry to help the industry who didn't really understand technology, how to process the value proposition of this new world, because the sports industry tends to be definitely more traditional and antiquated and not being so like comfortable with data. So yeah, I, I do think that you have personally, and everyone who works with you absolutely positively disrupted the industry in a really meaningful way. So our industry owes you a debt of gratitude for your um, unrelenting commitment to that. I guess the other person I would say, uh, just so I'm not acute being, so I don't get accused of being a kiss ass is Michael Rubin, who I just feel like, I don't know, when will he ever be satisfied? (laughs) Like he's just like built this like mega e-commerce business. And then he was like, oh, and I think I'll take on NFTs and oh, we should probably think about sports betting. And oh, like, is like, wow. I don't know. It sort of reminds me of a company that just has like limitless potential, like absolutely innovative, not defined by what they've done historically. And having talked to some of the people who've been tapped to lead those areas, I feel like they're doing it in a way that's not reckless or careless. It's like thoughtful. Like they've announced their intention and now they're like methodically doing their homework. Mm. And I, I'm just, I'm impressed with yeah. that. No, Mega Rubin's definitely up there. Is Fanatics then the most innovative company in sports tech or is there someone else? I guess I could say that. I, I guess I'll also, at the risk of like giving shout outs to just our partners, mostly again, less because I'm, they're my partners, but more probably because I'm most familiar with what they're doing and their strategies. I'll also give a shout out to ESPN because I do think that the way that they flipped their business model around, like they, they really quickly and having worked at the NHL and worked closely with the NFL and major league baseball, like these big, big mammoth 
entities that are like barge barges that are like hard to turn. I think the way that they've flipped their model to be focused from a revenue perspective on customer acquisition through streaming, their OTT business, like ESPN plus being like the driver of everything ESPN. I feel like they, they flipped the tail and the dog so quickly relative to like how big their company is that I just think that's super impressive. I think it shows their vision and their willingness to like make those hard decisions. Hmm. All right. Last one. You can be biased if you want league team federation. Who do you look up to? Well, I I mentioned them earlier, but I I study a lot, uh, the UFC. I, I just think that they really get it in Mm -hmm. terms of being fan first, innovative, digitally savvy. Like you almost forget that it's like fighting, Mm -hmm. you know, like all of the stigmas that existed, but they're like a true content churner, like media creator, like, and I actually planned a two years ago, we had a a league-wide meeting with, for all of our business people in Vegas in January of 2020 before the pandemic. And we did like a site visit with Lawrence Epstein and they talked about how they reshaped the company from vision, values, mission perspective. I just, I continue to watch them and think that what they do is very impressive Um, because I think they really get, again, this idea that like at the end of the day, we're, we're entertainers. Mm -hmm. And I think that they really build their business in that way. Yeah, no, I love Lawrence and team have done, a tr- I agree with you, a tremendous job over there. I- expanding their footprint, being a truly global brand. I think they've got one championship got just announced. They're breaking in. So we'll see how that, how they can keep, keep their, their leadership position. But Jess, thank you so much for your, your insights, your wisdom, the work you do at NLL, just for being you. Not to mention, oh, I'm going to give you a shout out to your son. I was at your hockey game. This is the kind of person you are, if you allow me. Go for it. Especially if it's about me as a mom. It's about you as a mom because, and I hate <laughs> that, you know, I'm a mom too. It's, it's, it, but it's reflective of who you are. Your son was supposed to go in. He's the backup goalie. He's supposed to go in. There's like five minutes to go. They're like, all right, you get to go in the last five minutes. He's like, no, 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 no. He told the coach, he stood up like, what is he saying to the coach? He said, I think the starting goal should stay so he can get the shutout because they, you know, they hadn't been scored on. I'm like, he got the key, got the MVP of the game. I mean, you should be so proud for that. Everything you're doing the NLL, but like the fact that you're raising two young men that will grow up to be good people. Shout out to you, Jess. So um, thank you. I call them he for she's, but they, uh, absolutely. I, I, that was like my proudest moment ever way better than watching him play. Thank you. And thank you for coming to watch him. That was was fun. fun. It was fun. All right. Thanks again. Good luck with your season and uh, looking forward to whatever your next big announcement is, Jess. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you once again to my good friend, rock star all around, Jessica Berman, the deputy commissioner of the NLL for coming on the show. The NLL is in full swing. So appreciate you, Jess, carving out the time. I know you're on the road quite a bit, sharing your experiences uh, in this league. And, uh, you, you know, if you, if you're listening to this whole podcast, I'm sure you heard how passionate she is about the sport of lacrosse I'm constantly thinking about how to innovate, improve on what the NL has to offer to the market. She's always thinking about the fluid fan, always thinking about how do we help make our consumers, our fans happier and 
and not just focus on the fan. I, I heard a little bit of uh, excitement in her voice around the athletes and uh, really excited about what they do both on and off the field. So these athletes have tons of stories to tell. I think one of them chops down wood, as you heard. Um, so Jess and her team are certainly working on supporting those athletes, sharing those stories and building that, that new model for sports. Fluid fan wants stories. Remember that though. They don't just want the tech. They don't just want the stats. They want to know the athlete, the athlete is entertainer. So Jess, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you to my producer, Jack Barlow. You're awesome. My whole team and to my listeners, uh, you guys are great. I, I keep getting messages uh, more recently than ever. I don't know. Did I change did, did the podcast sound better? You tell me, um, but getting some really nice notes from you. It means a lot to me because I know the effort that we put into this podcast um, is being received well in the market. At the end of the day, what we're trying to do is, is help is support, is empower the industry to be a better version of itself. That's uh, what our vision is. So uh, thank you for reaching out and telling us that you appreciate what we're doing and you're learning something from this podcast. If you want to learn more on hockey, side note, I'll be in Beijing, not physically because NBC isn't going there, but I'm going to be working for NBC throughout the games, talking about hockey. You know, I like talking about tech and the fan but I'm going to talk about hockey for a little bit more. So if you want to check out all the women's games, I'll be doing a little bit behind the scenes or in front of the camera for the women's hockey tournament. So tune into that. And if you haven't subscribed to this show, you can get it anywhere on your pod. So make sure you subscribe. Thank you again for being here with me until next time. I'll see you on the fluid fan podcast. 